I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and in this episode, I'm joined by Gary Vollmer, Product and Technical Manager for Selecta One. Selecta's portfolio includes many best-in-class products, but for this episode, we're focusing on dahlias. We've covered a lot of crops over the course of 42 STEM episodes, from seasonal must-haves like poinsettias and mums, to calabricoa, lavender, wave petunias, and more. These deep dives tend to be some of the most downloaded, and when I was putting together plans for future episodes earlier in 2019, dahlias came to mind almost immediately. We've seen many new series come to market in the past couple seasons, watched the class grow in popularity with home gardeners, and spotted thousands of dahlia picks pop up on social media. It's pretty clear this is a hot crop, for breeders and consumers. It's not a new crop by any means. Dahlias have been popular for decades and have specialist groups and clubs in just about every state. But new developments in breeding and supply chain dynamics are opening these beautiful bloomers up for the mass public for many, many reasons. I also knew our guest Gary is a true expert on dahlias and has grown them for years and is now helping lead some of the latest developments. Get ready to learn why dahlias are gaining in popularity. From diversity in color, form, and size options to ongoing cutting-edge research in modern production strategies. Gary's going to share reasons he and many others believe this crop is on the verge of a breakthrough. We discuss the trends, but spend most of our time on selecting the best series and types for different uses, and tips and tricks for producing a spectacular crop. Gary shares some specific dahlia challenges and how to avoid them, and wraps up with best practices to put in place that will ensure the beautiful plants you ship out will perform at retail and guarantee high sell-through. And of course, he also calls out some of his favorite series, varieties, and colors for quartz, gallons, and larger formats. You're definitely going to want to listen all the way to the end of this one. And because this episode is a bit on the longer side, I'm going to skip Connect Four this time around and jump right into Dahlias with Gary Vollmer from Selecta One. Gary Vollmer was educated at NC State University with Bachelor of Science degrees in horticulture and IPM. Gary worked for 32 years in growing and production, including grower at Natural Beauty in Apopka, Florida, production manager and head grower at Four Star Greenhouse in Carleton, Michigan, and head grower and production manager at Smith Gardens in Bellingham, Washington. Gary worked for three years as a ball seed sales representative in Washington State and in 2010 became a product and technical manager for Selected North America. His responsibilities include technical support with growers on all ball flora plant and Selecta crops. He's also responsible for working with breeding to develop all future Selecta crops for North America. Gary, welcome back to STEM. Hey, it's great to be here. So last time you were on STEM, it was a while back, uh, but we had a blast talking about poinsettias and I remember it just really being interested in some of the stories you told from growers and your you had a lot of experience with poinsettias and we talked trends production tips we even got into retail presentation I remember you were sharing some of the European trends and then we talked varieties and I really think it gave uh, the listeners a lot of information uh, to start making you know different uh, decisions with their poinsettias and uh, and certainly how to grow the best crop that they could. And that kind of inspired me to reach out to you about dahlias because I feel like this crop 
is extremely dynamic. There's a ton of new breeding and new opportunity. And, you, you know, you live in Dahlia country up in the Pacific Northwest. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about your history with dahlias and maybe um, some of what you and the Selecta and Ball Florid plant team have been up to with dahlias recently? Absolutely. Absolutely, Bill. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a, you know, long, long time grower in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we grew a lot of dahlias uh, in my history. We grew, you know, from all sources, uh, cutting seed and uh, for the large containers, all tuber based. So I have a lot of, a lot of experience with dahlia production and it's really exciting for me in my, in my current job working with Select in North America is that we have, are on, uh, I think, uh, sort of the upswing of a really good trend of bringing really high quality genetics uh, into that larger container format, uh, gallons and larger containers and, and uh, all cutting sourced. So it, it improves our, our supply chain. It's just really exciting time. Uh, Ball has dove into this. Uh, full speed ahead and acquired a, a Danish breeding company called Delena. And we have uh, basically are working a partnership between Ball and Selecta and uh, Pan American on the breeding aspect of this to, uh, to be able to bring basically uh, three world-class breeding programs together into the North American program, uh, North American market under Selecta. So it's a super exciting time for us um, We've been able to uh, really work uh, these programs, really focus on this sort of mid to large size dahlia, really with the, the depth of the breeding and the quality of the breeding, dive into performance uh, parameters and expectations that we haven't had before. And then the really, the other thing that's brought it really exciting for us is that we're bringing our, our, our supply chain into a global supply chain, providing worldwide inventory out of our, uh, our, our Uganda production location, which has been one of the leading dahlia production farms in the world for for a decade, so we're real excited about that. And it's 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 cool to hear that the the there's new breeding coming in a class that, like I said, has been around for a long time. And um, boy, I bet you're uh, you're glad that uh, these growers can start working with these cuttings instead of having to deal with uh, the challenges of, of tuberous begonia productions or tuberous dahlia productions. So that, that's yeah, really exciting. It does. It, it brings in, you know, the ability to to uh, create very high uniformity and then, uh, you know, all the production benefits you get from working with a, uh, a cutting. Cool. Well, I appreciate you helping to set the stage on this crop because I know that um, dahlias are top of mind with growers these days. There's tremendous retail pull through. I think that, you know, you open up gardening magazines and you see dahlias, especially the, the bright colored blooms on some of the dark foliage uh, genetics and green foliage. And it's really uh, a successful retail product at garden centers of all sizes. And and I think that a lot of that comes from it. It's just an absolutely beautiful impulse product. So what can you tell me about dahlias as a retail and consumer favorite? And why do you think they've achieved this level of popularity, especially since they aren't new and they've been in gardens for, for many, many years? Well, you know, dahlia as a flower has always presented a diversity of color and forms and, again, sizes from our traditional small pot dahlias all the way up to the uh you know the 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 garden club the amateur breeders uh, dinner plate dahlia which 
is is you know pretty much rampant in the Pacific Northwest. You can't drive uh, you know uh, 15 miles across the country and uh, and not see uh, you know somebody's value production going. So it's 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 really fun uh, to be a part of a crop that's evolved from that specialty garden product, and now with the the dramatic improvements and the the, the breeding cutting-based breeding and supply chain, we're able to bring it uh, to much more consumers and many more gardeners. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product that has always had that, that, that appeal that, that, you know, it's always kind of been known out there, but we're getting genetics and supply chain to be able to bring it to your normal growers and put it into a bedding plant program, not just a specialty program. That's cool, and I know that you, know, you mentioned that the dinner plate size blooms, and man, you see those at, at every county fair has has those entered in the in the contest when it comes to flowers and and, and vegetable contests in that barn, and and you know, I've seen them my whole life, and I've always loved dahlias, and you're right, it is it's really cool to think that now I can get some of these really unique and, and new and different varieties in a in a gallon size that I can use in my own garden or even in in patio pots and things like that. So as we're recording this, I know that growers are starting to plan for spring. Well, they should be putting together some of their product assortments in, in their heads and you know what, what they're going to offer that's new to the market this year for their garden center customers, for their landscape customers. Um, and I know that they're looking at a lot of the new Dahlia intros that have come to market in the last few years. So do you see the growth and breeding with this crop continuing or do you expect it to plateau? Um, should growers still be excited about the, the the new improvements that are that are expected to come to market in the near future? No, I, absolutely. I think one of the things that, that if you can, you know, you talk about this breeding, what it speaks to is that we on the breeding side of the of the business, we recognize the appeal and the improvements that we can bring into this product. Um, so we are committed, and Ball uh, specific, specifically is, is very committed to this as a selecta, uh, driving these, these very uh, large and, and, and strong breeding efforts. Um, we, again, focusing on supply chain aspects of this, uh, we now can create dahlia that are producible and, and easier to handle in, in, in good quantities and will improve the, the performance for the gardener as, as well as the grower. So I think we are at the beginning of, of, of the golden era of dahlia as, as far as a, a, a bedding crop. You know, we're always looking, I'm always looking for what's that next really big high volume crop. And we look at dahlia, it's always been a solid volume crop, but it's never broken through as that to that really sort of major volume level like you you know you look at like geraniums or, or petunias or calibrecoa but it has the potential uh, uh, without question it has that potential we've committed a lot you know and others have as well to the breeding uh doing research on how to grow these things and, and unlocking the keys to making this a you know a, a a high volume highly successful product for for growers and retailers alike uh, that's exciting just to think that we could be at the tip of something that that's really going to explode. And um, I like how you mentioned that, that you guys have started to kind of crack the code on how growers can produce these 
um, to hit markets at specific times and specific specs. And I know that we're going to get into that um, here in the next few minutes, which is, I think, probably the the true uh, meat of this podcast is, you know, how how growers can produce these crops at specific times to hit the retail demand and capitalize on what's certainly a high high interest product for consumers. So let's get down to business, the business of producing uh, fantastic dahlia crops. So let's start at the beginning. When when a grower orders and then receives uh, the URCs or liners, what like what advice can you give for this stage in the game for growers? Well, that's a that's a very good question, and and it really it it, it comes to one uh, sort of key principle that we've learned as we've done research with values is there are two processes at play. There's a a process to generate a tuber and a day length response, and then there's a second process to generate a flower. They are separate processes. So if I was going to give one piece of advice and learning what we've learned about day length and does, and we'll get a lot more into that as we get into details, is make sure that if you're going to root these cuttings, you light them in propagation, long day treatment in propagation. And if you're going to buy liners, you work with your liner supplier to make sure that they're putting them in, in long days. This is critical for any time you're planting uh, this dahlia you know, prior to mid-March. So any spring plantings or spring spring sales, this is really important. They need long days as a young plant to avoid tuber formation. Not every genetic does, and we're learning that. We're trying to figure that all out to see if that's something we can do. But right now, the safe move is light your propagation. You don't need to light finished. We'll get into that later. But if you start with a lit liner, you should be fine. But we'll talk about that more as we get into some specific cultures. But that right there is the first key to, 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 to starting with Dahlia. So is, is this a crop that growers can have success with um, rooting their own? I mean, is this a good URC crop for growers? You know, historically, there's been issues with um, uh, Dahlia cutting supply. And the issues are if the plant gets uh, stressed out or it sees, um, you know, uh, uh, a lack of management on the stock, you can get a initiated cutting, a flowering budded cutting. And those, the stress of that flower, and if you don't give it long days, then what happens is that, that those, those stressed out cuttings, those initiated cuttings will almost inevitably form a tuber. So now we've got basically worked on our supply chain to the point where we can provide a nice herbaceous uh, cutting. Beyond that issue, they are quite easy to root and quick to root. It's a four-week liner crop in a 102, um, and you can and you can take off, and that's true of even the larger ones going into bigger containers. So, yes, at this time, yes, we have gotten to the point where I think we do have um, a highly reliable, producible cutting that even you know a guy that isn't necessarily a, a specialist propagator, but he is doing his other spring crops. This is compatible in in the same environment. Okay, excellent. That that's that's good to hear. I just wanted to kind of double check on that. So, can you talk a little bit about the intricacies of producing these? We we talked about sort of the larger size, um, the larger containers. So, I guess producing different dahlia specs and sizes. I know it's a versatile crop. You see them from sizes ranging from you know quarts, six inch to gallons, even bigger. 
then of course there's landscape markets. So are, are, are there intricacies and, and nuances on how to get these guys to perform best in different applications? I think you've, you probably have a, a ton of experience with this and understand where the market trends are going. So can you spend a little bit of time on how to select uh, the best series and intricacies on producing them in these different formats? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, the first the first piece, and, and uh, you know, you probably heard me say this in poinsettias as well, is you get the right genetic into the right container. And that's the most important thing is these, these varieties are bred to produce a, you know, a sort of uh, not necessarily written in blood, mind you, but a pre-programmed plant, right? So the idea is if you're going to grow pints or quarts or small uh, pots, you would focus on something like Dalietta, which is a, a more compact genetic. But when you get into that, you know, the, uh, as we're seeing the explosion of the, the gallon or 2.5 quart uh, container size as, as a uh, a high volume and then growing volume container for premium uh, annuals. That is a there's a whole set of genetics and like in the selector world we 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 have our our line of, of city lights and Delia city lights being dark leaf Delia being green leaf that fall into that that spec and then the other huge opportunity for us is to is is if we're starting to get genetics and supply chain that will produce viable and durable and high yielding products for larger containers, larger formats. And again, uh, um, for us uh, in the selector world, that's our venti line. And then we're very excited about bringing that and that spec into, into the program. And we do think that there's been limited sales in that, that area, that container size, but it's not been limited by demand. It's been limited by supply chain. And I think we're getting to the point now with the genetics and supply chain. Uh, it's really about, put the right varieties in the right container. And then, you know, then obviously we have to look at scheduling to know what, what is the realistic time that you're going to get this product to market. And then of course there's the, 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 the basic growing steps to get you there. But first, first piece of the puzzle is know what varieties you're going to use and, and, and what container you're going to sell it in. And then looking at when you want to get to market, then let's, you know, you then drill in to get the, the correct schedule. Okay. And, and you mentioned Delia, and that's a series that I've loved since the beginning. I remember some of the first two or three colors that came out were super unique, and it's been fun to watch that series expand. Um, and I, I would imagine that growers who need um, some assistance or have some scheduling questions can certainly reach out to you and the Selecta team who've got a lot of experience putting together schedules, right? Absolutely. Without question, I'm, uh, I'm a resource. Uh, that's part of my responsibilities is to support our products and I'm available, uh, you know, for anybody that has any questions uh, concerning, you know, how to get there and, and when, to, when to plant them. I'd love to, love to work on that. And again, you know, the more I communicate with growers, the more I learn as well. So as I work with growers in different regions, uh, we gain our knowledge and that knowledge gets shared and then we can, you know, I think that's the one of the keys to bringing dahlias forward is we all figure out how to do it. I know when you do it right, it's easy. It's, uh, it, it, but you know, there's there's ways to get off track. And so if we can get everybody on on track, then we can get uh, get everybody real comfortable with this product because I know it's one of those things when you put it in front of a consumer and 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 looking pretty, it's going to fly off the shelves no matter where you put it. Be it you know, uh, garden center, grocery, box store, it doesn't matter. I think there's the, 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 that uh, impulse appeal is all over Dahlia's. I completely agree. And, and you had mentioned this um, 
I don't know when I hear, I think when I heard you speaking at spring trials that, that you guys are learning a lot now, you're asking a lot of the really tough questions and, and getting the research in. So um, that's where I want to go now. So that now the crop is kind of actively growing in the greenhouse. You've, you've chosen the right, uh, the right series to grow. You've, you've got your schedule um, at least down on paper. So what are some best practices to follow to ensure that you're producing the, the best crop you possibly can? I've got to imagine that the basics are important, the lighting, feed, watering, but what specific tips do you have for our listeners based on your experience growing dahlias and working with growers who have, you know, maybe run into some, some issues and, and had to solve problems, or at least uh, when you put that schedule together, what are you, what are you telling growers are some of the, uh, the best practices to follow? Well, I think the, the the first thing is just to kind of understand basically what a dahlia is. Dahlia is a a plant. It is, uh, for the lack of a better uh, way to describe it, think of it in terms of this perennial, right? And so, when it gets into short days and stress, temperature stress, whatever that stress might be, it's going to want to go to sleep. Um, so the the trick is is to avoid stress and then start the plant as a young plant in long days. Um, the other aspect of a dahlia is because it has a larger fleshier root and is a leafy plant, it's prone to, to using a lot of water and then dry down and then it can, it, it can get pythium. And, and so if you think of it in two, two respects, a, uh, avoid stress, start with a lit liner, avoid stress in the growing season. And that stress can be cool temperatures. It can be drought. It can be lack of nutrition. Um, and then don't dry them down. Those are the basics. Now, obviously, there's going to be some refinements on growth regulation, depending on the specifics of, of, of the containers and the schedule that you're working with and regionality. But the core basics are it's, it's, it's a fleshy sensitive root. So avoid uh, it's a leafy plant. Avoid dry down. Dry down will damage the roots. Dry down triggers pythium to come in and attack the roots. There's, there's a problem that usually happens late in the season. Starting the season, start with a lit liner. Don't get them cold. They're not a cold bedding uh, uh, product. They're a warm bedding. So nights above 60. Um, days, you know, you don't want to go too hot. And keep them modestly fed. CalMag makes the tissue stronger. CalMag feeds versus uh, just a softer feed. And then really, you know, don't stress them out hard. Don't dry them down. Dry down is probably, uh, other than day length in the beginning, is our number one challenge. And it, it causes uh, what a lot of people describe as, as late season dahlia collapse. It, it's when, you know, dahlia is in the field. The guys are getting, they're finished, they're ready. You imagine what's happening is when that dahlia is, it's a big leafy plant and it's got all these big, uh, large petal blooms all over the top of that thing. It is a transpiration machine. It's pumping water hard and fast. And if you dry these things down hard, the roots get damaged. You water them up, Pythium comes in and then you get this collapse. It can happen late stages in the nursery. can also happen at, at retail. So that's it in a nutshell. The, gotcha. you know, don't stress me out. Don't dry me down. <laughs> feed, me, feed me. And then beyond that, it's the, it's the refinements and the fine tuning of matching your genetics to container size to the season. You know, what light levels are you under? A basket canopy, you might need more PGR, things like that. But those are subtle. Dahlias are not. There's no magic to daddy's PGR response. They're quite predictable. Uh, my only comment there is you just want to avoid using a lot of aggressive PGRs 
after the bud is formed, because what can happen is the dahlia, you want that flower to rise above the foliage a bit, but if you put too much PGR late, um, especially something like a bonsai or magic late, um, you can cause that flower to stay too tight into the foliage and it, it blooms, but it just doesn't give you the effect that you're looking for with a dahlia. Okay, but again, yeah, just... nothing, nothing uh, radical uh, in its response to PGR, and it does respond to pretty much all PGRs. Okay, and I think that that that's good advice. You certainly want to keep the blooms up above the above the foliage at retail. That really brings that that dahlia look. And um, yeah, I think when you when you think about the actual structure and you look down at the plant, it it kind of makes sense what you say that it is a very uh, leafy plant. It's going to take up a lot of water. The transpiration is going to be quite high. And uh, yeah, so don't let it dry down. Keep it fed. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a good crop to, you know, when you talk about PGR strategies and, you know, uh, there's a lot of different approaches. There's guys like me that my whole discipline as a grower was grow with the PGR. So I would like to use, I like to use early PGR applications in the production, plant them, get them established, apply the PGR and let them grow through that and try to time that application and set the rate so that's releasing it about the time it goes to sale. Other growers like to use PGRs, uh, grow them free or earlier, and then use PGRs, you know, like two-thirds of the way or later into the production cycle. I think that's where you're at risk with a dahlia. If you get to where you're doing the PGR applications later, it's it's like an osteospermum in that respect, too. If you, you want to be careful how much and how hard you apply PGRs late, because it will affect that, that, that peduncle, that flower stalk. Uh, okay. But otherwise, um, you know, again, to me, it's a... Grow with PGR, modest to low levels of PGR early, low level of bonsai drenches, one to two parts per million, B9 psycho cells, 1,500, seven, uh, 1500 B9, uh, 750 psycho cells. You know, two weeks after transplanting, one or two applications is probably uh, ideal. But again, I don't want to get into specifics on PGRs. That's a dangerous game. As everybody grower knows, everybody's house is a little different. Everybody's growing conditions are a little different. But that's just generally speaking, it is not, um, there's no, you know, like a poinsettia, where if you you know you start talking about rates of bonsai uh, because poinsettias are sensitive to begonias, things like that, it's not one of those super sensitive crops that you really have to be really really worried about the PGR applications on. Okay, that's great, and I think you like you did a really good job of getting giving general enough information. Obviously, every uh, greenhouse is different; they all have their intricacies. But so, speaking of general information, are there any horror stories you've seen play out? Uh, more, you know, more often than than others when it comes to dahlia production. I mean, if you've seen one grower face a challenge or ten growers face a challenge, there's no doubt many more are also uh, running into that. So, what what are some of the things that you've seen go wrong? You have mentioned a few, but I think it's worth reiterating. Well, it really boils down to uh, the 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 you know I would say the you know the the uh, the catastrophic crop failures that have happened in values have that happened because of two reasons. One, um, early season tuber formation, and I primarily target that as uh, either a hardened cutting and or um, no lights in propagation. The other is uh, June, June collapse, where a crop will, uh, a grower will have a crop, it'll be ripe and ready, they won't have protected the roots, they've been, they've gotten a little pitium going and then like I said, when those blooms open and the transpiration stream 
starts roaring, that's when the Pythium starts to explode. So, uh, you know, simple, simple, simple things beyond that, you know, yeah. Okay. You know, I've seen jet beetles take a, take a small guy down. I've seen, you know, aphids get loose, uh, thrips get loose for sure. in the flowers, but, um, no more so than any other uh, really spring flowering plant. The other issue that, that comes in, it really isn't so much an issue for a grower. It can be if their growing conditions aren't right, but it's certainly uh, an issue, and that, that can be powdery mildew. Okay. Um, what are uh, some, when you talk about the powdery mildew, what are some of the uh, ways to, to, to fight against that? Well, the, the, the best approach... Uh, with powdery mildew, always is environment, manage your environment, uh, try to keep your humidities down, avoid dew point. There's a great little uh, app for your phone. It's called dew point. And I encourage everybody to get it. It's simple. It basically shows you that at this temperature, at a given temperature and at a given relative humidity, it will then tell you what the dew point is. Dew point is the point with which the water condenses on the foliage, on the su structures, on the surfaces. So the trick is, is you never want to get uh, to dew point when you're in a production situation in a greenhouse. So a simple little app. Um, the idea is when you close your greenhouse at night, whatever that temperature and humidity is in that greenhouse, that's how much water is actually in the greenhouse at that point. Hmm. So you, as you lower the temperature, unless you exchange that air, uh, the dupe, you know, the water, the relative humidity goes up. Simple rules, warm air holds more water than cold air. Mm -hmm. So if you are cognizant of that and, and set your environment appropriately, ventilate appropriately, you can prevent powdery mildew in the greenhouse. Now for the consumer uh, in the garden, it's really genetics. And we work really hard at screening for powdery mildew. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that you know, uh, values don't get powdery mildew. They do. All of them eventually can and will. But it's really more about, um, you know, which ones are more resistant. We use the term resistance and not resistant. Resistance springs, speaks to the genetics ability to tolerate the disease. Hmm. So for us, it's just about trialing and where we trial and how we trial and select away from it. And okay. then begin it, but in that's again in the end that's the, the 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 protection we have for the consumer. As a grower, you know, manage your humidities. There are chemicals that can be used uh, uh, to to treat powdery mildew. That is definitely an option. Um, and if you can't control your environment in your greenhouse, then I would go down that route. That gun that route. Okay. Sure. All right. And I'll I'll you know what I'll find that app and put a link to that in the show notes. The Dew Point app. That sounds like a really good tool. It is a great tool, and it's actually I think one of the most under under thought um, skill sets that a grower needs to just be tuned into. It's like, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years ago, the concept of alkalinity, no one really got what alkalinity meant. Now, everybody starts to understand what alkalinity and how bicarbonates affect the water chemistry and the feed chemistry and all of that. I consider dew point to be one of those, those same kind of aspects. It's something that's a critical part of the process, but we don't always understand that well. Oh, I think that that that's great advice and certainly a good reminder to growers who aren't thinking along those lines. And um, sounds like there are some good tools available to help you quickly identify that that dew point. So, it, yep. Is is growers? You know, you're 
you've, you've grown your crop now, you've avoided some of these challenges, um, you've dealt with some of the ones that do pop up head on and, and you're in your past it as growers, prepare to ship their dahlias to market. Do you have any suggestions for finishing this crop and getting it, you know, out the door looking, you know, looking beautiful so that it will achieve that high sell through that we're all kind of predicting? Yeah, and, and the strategies are are, 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 are pretty straightforward. Um, I, I think it, you, you would think about it kind of like we think about with a poinsettia. Um, when you're going into a, a retail environment, you want to make sure that the plant's not going to crash due to wilt in the environment. Like a poinsettia and a dahlia, they both have, have a sensitive root system, a fleshy root system that is prone to damage when the plant actually uh, dries out and wilts. So there's things you can do to make them survive and dry soil longer. One is to reduce the, the salts. So I would recommend is to, right, right as you're getting ready to ship them, make sure that you water these in, unlike some other bedding plants, with fresh water so that you're not going into, um, uh, into retail with a high EC. That just protects you from them drying out because it's that salt in the, in the drying soil that causes the damage to the roots. Right. Roots can tolerate more dry down without the salts. Not that the plants don't need to feed, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, starve your plants. I'm saying prior to ship, you wanna make sure that the EC isn't high. You can even, you know, give them a good thorough watering with fresh water and then keep them hydrated through the shipping process and at retail. That, no, I think that that's really good advice. And how about any quick tips for uh, any retail listeners who want to make sure to, that this crop, you know, I guess, you know, you never know when you're going to have that rainy weekend and uh, you're going to you're going to have that crop a little bit longer than you wanted. Are there any um, nuances for maintaining dahlias as a saleable plant? I know that nobody likes shrinks. So how do you avoid plant loss at retail? Well, the, the, you know, other than uh, freezing, the, the plants themselves and even the blooms are fairly tolerant to, to rain. Uh, frost will definitely take the blooms out. But the trick is, is if you're in a, a tight setting in retail where the plants are jammed together, then you can, you can start to create an environment where the plants will stretch. You will start to get some, some botrytis and some damage inside the foliage. So the best thing you can do if you're going to, you know, if you're going to turn them fast, just get them in front of a consumer, put them where they're going to see them. But if you're going to sit on this product for, you know, uh, several days at, at retail, then ideally you want to create air space around the plants so that they don't, uh, otherwise, again, they're, they're relatively tolerant in, 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 in poor weather. Um, and then keep them hydrated. Biggest problem at retail without question is not watering. That's the number one. Okay, so get your folks on the hose. Make sure you're keeping them spaced out if they're not, you know, if, if they're not moving as quickly as you want. But uh, I also envision dahlias in a big kind of patio pot. There's going to be enough air around them, and they're going to be beautiful enough that I don't suspect them sitting at retail is going to be much of an issue. No, I agree. I think, and, and you know, and I'm glad you brought mentioned that because what I was going to say is a caveat to my comment before was. You just have to think about the nature of, of the variety you're producing, the pot size, and how it's being presented. Um, if you're selling, uh, you know, uh, four-inch pots in the shuttle tray at a mass market, well, inevitably, they're going to be in that shuttle tray at mass market. So when you're creating that product, maybe from a grower's perspective, you work on the specs so that they're not overgrown in that shuttle tray um, at point of sale. 
but it's really it's like you know because they are leafy and if you look at the stems are relatively fleshy i would say just when you jam them an upright plant like that when you jam them close together uh they can, you know, they, they don't tolerate that as well as something that has more durable foliage, like a like a mum or something like that. Sure. Okay. No, I think that that's really good. And you have given us a ton of good production information. I know that uh, listeners are probably scribbling down notes, um, thinking about their own production scenarios. But let's have a little bit of fun now. Let's talk varieties. I already mentioned the dahlias uh, that I really like, some of those unique blooms. But I remember. I vividly remember the display at spring trials this year. It was like a, a big, a big circle filled with all sorts of, of the dahlia genetics. You had different sizes and different, um, you know, straight colors. You know, flowers with multiple colors. It was absolutely beautiful. So, what are some of your favorite uh, varieties for different uses? And I guess most importantly, why why do you like them? Well, you know, I've always uh, I, I like the the dahlia line as a line. Um, because what we've set with Delia is a very high uh, summer performance uh, parameter. One of the other things that dahlias do, sometimes they just don't grow in the heat. Uh, Delia continues to grow through the summer. So I always love that aspect of it, because in the end, it makes this bigger, much bigger plant through the summer and that good garden performance. Of course, you know, fun colors in there as well, and our new purple and white as a, as a color in the Delia line is just spectacular. You, I mean, that is just total consumer appeal and and uh so that's a great one but i really have to say i've been since we brought it on the concept of working with dark foliage and we are i can't wait to bring what's coming down the road the future in this dark foliage breeding is so uh, exciting so many cool stuff so much still stuff coming from all the breeding programs so the dark leaf the city lights dahlia for uh out of selecta which is again targeting that like gallon 2.5 cart is spectacular city lights purple is uh basically it wins awards everywhere it goes it's been it's uh, you know it is definitely our most photographed uh and shared uh image of dahlia that we have um beautiful contrast dark dark foliage deep rich purple flower a strong strong flower strong stem on and just a great solid plant so gotta love the city lights purple that's 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 my favorite i like the city lights in general but that purple is just uh, such a standout and then the other thing that really for me is is like you alluded to as well um early in our conversation is is being able to break into with a good performing product into this larger larger uh, format and this venti line uh, that we've worked with—it's super exciting. It's a—it's unlike other large format dahlias that are on the market, which kind of are have that very long, elongated flower standing up, oftentimes born in threes. Uh, one primary flowers to uh, smaller ones on the sides. This is a different set of genetics. This brings a more uh, formalized plant, a more uh, more structured foliage, so it's a really attractive plant but it puts this large fully doubled bloom on the top and a very very nice array of colors and uh, really good performance aspects of it i personally you know i one of my fantasies here bill is is and where i think we're very close to being able to do this is to develop a production plan so that growers can actually take these large format values and go beyond the garden plant and make a holiday crop out of it and i do believe our, our, our pink plus white eye, white eye and our light rose are two candidates that could be uh, outstanding products for a Valentine's program. And I'm working hard to try to figure out how to do that. 
once we learn that, we'll share that information. The other one is the Venti Tequila Sunrise. It's a beautiful um, orangish, reddish, bicolor, uh, just a great plant. All of these things are are, are working really good. Um, one of my coworkers that lives in, in Colorado loves the venti white because the white flower doesn't ever go brown. And I, I, you know, it's a nice plant. It's not my favorite plant, but when you start talking about a white bloom that doesn't turn yellow or brown, that's, that's quite extraordinary as well. Sure. So venti line, I encourage everybody, uh, if you have a taste for that larger pot, look at this venti line. It's, it's really producible and spectacular. Uh, product as well. Cool. And I will, I'll put a link to the select a catalog in the show notes so folks can pop it open and look at the Ventis. Um, I do like that size. I think that there's a lot of uh, premium opportunities at retail for, uh, for that size. And you're right. It's the plant habit that really um, sets it apart is, is it really does fill out. Um, it, it looks like a really nice uh, sh- plant shape. It's not stretchy at all. So yeah, and, and I agree with you, Bill. I think that is, uh, you know, we look at this this as a category, especially in spring. Mm. Um, the, the the large format uh, patio living, patio ready product, um, especially in spring, as I think a a, se- a segment that is going to continue to grow. Spring and early uh, early summer opportunities uh, for that large format. I know it's a challenge for growers to try to squeeze those in at at some peak spring times when they, you know, the, the mindset is I can sell everything I can grow. So why should I put uh, large, large size containers? Well, I think if we price them appropriately, consumers will still buy them even in the early spring uh, windows. But yeah, I see that category that, that literally, um, you know, ready to consumer ready to use. Uh, Anna Ball made a, a comment years ago. We were at a, a a meeting in Atlanta, I believe it was a PPGA meeting or whatever it was called at that year. And she made the comment of, uh, in, in front of the entire group of saying that we are an industry guilty of selling paint <laughs> to pe- people that want to buy paintings. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I, I'll tell you what, that was in like 1991. And look <laughs> at where we are today with you know, the concept of the Trixie, uh, Mix Master, these uh, ready-to-go combos. The, you look at retail today, the amount of hanging baskets and 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 literally consumer-ready 8-inch and up sizes are dominating uh, retail. And I think Dahlia is just a perfect species to play into that arena. Perfect. Absolutely. And you've got, you know multiple shipments coming into a lot of stores per week you know you have the opportunity to to bring these in and, and turn them on, turn them over quickly and um i do think there's plenty of dollars that can be captured on the bench during during that time um it's going to be worth the space especially if you aren't afraid to price these where they should be yeah Agreed. so so that that is that's so cool and i i really can't wait to see more and more of these coming to market i know that um yeah, I know. I know that there's some exciting things coming uh, down the pipeline as well, and that um, certainly nobody in in your organization is sitting still when it comes to dahlias. So, and and the thought of having a pink dahlia for Valentine's Day—that's super cool. Like, I really think that 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 is exactly what today's consumer is looking for: is something a little bit different, something they haven't seen before for Valentine's Day. A really cool you know, beautiful blooming gift plant. And man, if you, if you can nail that scheduling and get that down, that is really going to be a big deal, I think. 
Yeah, we're so, going to work on it. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it sounds like it if it's one of your dreams. So what, what have we missed, Gary? Are there any other best practices you want to share? Is there anything that you want to cover quickly before we wrap this uh, deep dive into Dahlia's up? Well, I can tell you, you know, we're, we're, we're committed to this species. We're committed to learning everything that we can about uh, uh, how to produce these guys. Uh, we are uh, continuing to do research. Two, two focus researches uh, is happening for, for uh, spring of 2021 is an extensive short day uh, torture test, basically to see uh, a short day liner versus lit liner in short day finish in extremely short days. We're talking literally shortening days going into the winter, uh, going into winter. So we're trying to, to force tuber formation and see if we can identify genetic sensitivities to tuber, tuber formation so that we can perhaps, you know, breed uh, short day sensitivity out of the dahlia. That's one of the one of the goals, really select it, select away from it. The other is is uh, develop best practices, really refine um, scheduling, PGRs, things like that, and and uh, you know, all the little tips about you know uh, how to grow these things from propagation to finish, uh, well documented, and that that uh, that best practices recharge is ongoing right now. For now, it's 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 pretty straightforward. Uh, like I mentioned before, start with a lit liner. That's the safest place to be. Are some varieties don't need that? Yeah, but I'm not ready to tell you what that is. So right now, everything works if you light the liner. You don't need to light finished. And our research, and it's on the PowerPoint that 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 Bill has, will demonstrate that it adds you know uh, you know seven to, to to even fourteen days of crop time by lighting the finished product. So natural day length and finished, and then avoid stress from cold and dry down, modest feed, and you should be successful. Sounds good. Hey, and I appreciate that sneak peek into what you guys are working on for the future here in the short term. That's uh, that's pretty exciting. And um, I was always like a good, uh, good plant torture test. Yeah. Well, like I said, we have uh we have the, the, the luxury of having these three uh, breeding programs. And so we have the luxury of being able to setting a pretty, uh, set a pretty high bar. And at very least, even if, we, if it doesn't become a uh, yes, no decision, at least we can give more detailed information uh, to different varieties to growers. I mean, they might have enough appeal that, that, you know, okay, it may be a little bit more day length sensitive, but if we know that going in and here's how you want to grow this one, we can still perhaps bring uh, something that's, you know, very exciting to market. But the you know the end game is uh, set a set a high bar and and push the fact that we have three breeding programs to provide a very high expectation of our product. That's awesome. Well, you know what? Thank you so much, Gary. I always appreciate your willingness to take a deep dive into crops. Um, you've got so much expertise, and this one on uh, dahlias was a lot of fun. I think as as we've discussed plenty throughout this uh the last 45 minutes is this is a huge retail crop there's so much opportunity the market's really booming in recent years um you mentioned the city light series with its with its dark foliage i think that that's a big trend um big blooms unique colors it's, it's just hitting consumer trends head on so as new genetics come to market and the uses for this crop continue to expand having your production plans in place the scheduling all these tips that you've shared are going to be really critical for growers. I think you've you've helped the listeners get off to a great start with dahlias. 
Now they need to, you know, take a look through the catalogs, um, go back to some of the, the trial notes that they've seen in industry magazines, and really um, start adding dahlias to their product mix. So that being said, uh, how can folks get in touch with you with any questions, whether it's on the varieties, on the production, and um, are there any resources you want to share to support anything that we went over today? You did mention that PowerPoint. I will put that on slide share and get that link in the show notes as well. So how can folks get in touch with you with any questions? Well, to get a hold of me, um, I, I have a ball horticulture email address. It's G V O L L M E R G Volmer at ballhort.com. And then uh, feel free to call me or text me. Uh, I travel a lot, so I may not pick up right away, but my phone number is area code three, six, zero, Three eight nine six five six three, and also uh, Bill, I'm not sure. Um, let me know if I need to, to push them to you, but we do have posted uh, uh, grower facts culture culture uh, by series uh, out there too that it gives the basics and it's a little more more detail than what I got into uh, here as well. The PowerPoint has some good culture information in it, and but like I said, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm here to help. Excellent, excellent, and I will. Uh, I'll get a hold of the links to the grower facts and the culture by series, and make sure those get into the show notes as well. I know you guys at VFP and Select to do a great job with that, and I know that we all really appreciate it. So again, thank you so much, Gary, and uh, can't wait to come back and uh, and tackle another crop here sometime in the future. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. And special thanks for helping us surpass 14,000 downloads. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to recommend it to your peers and coworkers. You can subscribe on any podcast player, including iTunes, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and more. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B C A L. K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram. That's STEM Greenhouse Podcast, all one term, for behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, and all sorts of good stuff. Let's end this episode with a quote about innovation and hard work from Steve Jobs. Innovation comes from people meeting up in the hallways or calling each other at 10.30 at night with a new idea or because they realize something that shoots holes in how we've been thinking about a problem.